Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, We're here to talk about the defense in that awful awful game uh, on Saturday against the Browns in Cleveland. And here to join me to talk about it is Josh Reed. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing a lot, a little bit better now. They got to get to talk to you about the defense, so the offense, but um, I'm, 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 I'm doing okay. Like I was telling you pre-show, I'm lucky I had another event to cover after the game because it kind of helped me take my mind off of it. Yeah. I, I, I understand that entirely. I understand how a lot of people don't want to do this. We'll probably have fewer listens this week because people aren't that interested in hearing about a loss. So we'll keep the show probably a little shorter than it, than it has been, but I find it kind of cathartic to go through the analysis process and look at this play by play. And yeah, there's some things that are, that are really terrible about this. We're going to talk about one of them right up front. Uh, and then, and then there are some things about it that, that weren't bad. I mean, they got some good play out of some individual players. We saw a first snap from David Ajabo. We'll talk about that a little bit. So some kind of cool stuff that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy, I enjoy the, like, you know, going, going back and kind of like, it's, you, it's, when you go back through it, you kind of get to purge your system of like, all right, you know, now I get to like, you know, rip the bandaid off instead of just saying what could have been, what could have been. And just, you know, thinking about it, you actually get to go back and watch the film, analyze, break down. Okay, this is where the game turned. This is where like, you know, this is where, uh, you know, this, you know, the momentum swung or whatever. And you get to you know, really break down people's play and who, who did bad. And I know that, you know, at the end of the day, the score is going to look bad. But um, there were actually some, some pretty decent individual performers out of this game. Yep. And definitely, uh, definitely the case. Um, 
All right, so let's start with this. Uh, our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been good to us. Uh, we'll move on and we'll talk about what I think is the central element of this game. If you look at it, there's a lot of things you can point to, and there are a lot of things you can point to in any individual football game that usually are game-turning plays in a one-score game. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the, the loss here, pin it on the fourth down results. Now, we're going to get into whether or not there's some good decisions there, but the fourth down results for the Ravens were terrible. Okay, So they went 0 for 3 on fourth down themselves, and the Browns went 2 for 2. And those five plays were more than the difference in the game, a lot more than, frankly, the 10-point difference in the game. Uh, any opening ideas about that? Um, yeah, man, you, you, you really like, you know, the different decision makings in those, in those, in those, uh, those instances. I mean, I could just think back to the first one of the game. I mean, like not saying that that fullback dive to Patrick Ricard, you know, hasn't worked before, but you know, like I, even JK Dobbins said after the game that he would have liked to get the ball in that play. And it, to me, it's not really the decision all the time. It's more like the execution and, um, you know, just the decision of who, who to get the ball to. I just feel like a guy, who you could have turned to several times in this game that really probably could have won you the game if you would just lean on him a little bit more. I'm not saying give the guy 25 carries, but in, in specific situations, I feel like he could have got you those crucial yards, and those was one of the instances. Well, it's definitely one of the most controversial calls to go forward of the game, and, and that's where I want to look at this in a little more depth. And for those of you not familiar with this, the Ben Baldwin bot, uh, and it's at Baldwin Ben Bot, I believe, is is, is uh, Baldwin underscore Ben underscore Bot. But if you look up Ben Baldwin Bot, you'll be able to find it. Um, we'll give you some information on his model about this. Now, I, one of the questions I have is, is the modeling really valid for the Ravens' current situation with, for instance, Huntley at quarterback in there right now? Uh, but, but I want to talk about this one a little bit. So the Ravens had fourth and one at the Brown 7 on Q1 658. And you know, they ran Ricard into the line of scrimmage, as you mentioned. I thought probably for starters, forward progress shouldn't have been ruled as stopped. And the, at some point during that twisting, he certainly had a first down. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, like depending on the officiating crew and officiating this this whole weekend has been pretty god awful. But mm-hmm. for some reason, they don't let these things play out. I mean, they've taken away how many touchdowns from Justin Jefferson now because they because they ruled because they stopped forward progress or ruled somebody out of bounds. So I like I'd like to see the officials just like let things kind of play out before they just you know blow their whistle or just real okay he's not going to get like we're talking about a well even though Patrick requires not three hundred and something pounds like they always say on on a broadcast we're talking about a guy who's like. 280 to something and like he's like his his legs were nowhere near stop driving and like i'd like them to just like you know let the play play out before you blow it dead i'm not saying let them you know do that thing that the eagles do with the whole rugby thing and push the guy six yards downfield but like at least let them let him hit the ground ravens are capable of that too and ricard himself is a is a little bit of a fred flintstone runner and if you if you understand that reference from an old Flintstones, you really are old. Just want to point that out to you. Talk. Let's talk about that play a little bit more in terms of dissecting it, though. If you look at the Ben Baldwin bot, they say that the Ravens had an expected win probability gain of two percentage points on that. Uh, and they had an estimated success chance on the play of 61%. Uh, now, here's here's the interesting part. They Their win probability, had they succeeded, was 63%. Their win probability had they failed, which they did, of course, but had they failed, you know, looking at it prospectively, is 48%. So effectively, 63 minus 48, they had a wager on the table, is the way I look at it, of about 15 percentage points on that play. And they were playing for a gain of two percentage points to take uh, that level of risk as I am defining it in this case. Um, if they had just gone for the field goal, uh, 56% win probability instead of either 48 or 63 by, by making it or not making it. So there was quite a lot of risk on this play. And, it's, it, and normally I would say if the Ravens were, were sure they were the better team, I'd say take less risk in such situations because the better team should not want a lot of all-in pots. A better poker player doesn't want a lot of all-in pots. They want a lot of a lot of uh, play for relatively small pots to build up their stack uh, to not get outlucked on any particular hand by a weaker player. That wasn't the Ravens' situation in this game. They just weren't the, weren't clearly the better team. Not entering the game, not at that point, not 
not any way you look at it. Um, uh, you know, playing in Cleveland against Deshaun Watson, I think they were they were you know they were predicted to lose, so it's reasonable to assume they were not the better team. Yeah, yeah, totally. I just um at, at that point, like you knew it was going to be like a dog fight in this game, and and, and you know points were going to be hard to come by. So I'm never I'm never like you know the kind of person that wants to like you know risk not getting the points, especially when you have your backup quarterback. And as much as the Ravens say they have unwavering and undying faith in, in Huntley, uh-huh. he's, not Lamar, he's not Lamar Jackson, you know. And um, you know, and when you're playing with your backup quarterback, you know, you're supposed to take the points. You know, you're not supposed to roll the dice, especially so, so early in the game. Like you know, like okay, great, you know, you're you had a great first drive and you're moving the ball well, but like you know, if you if you didn't. Like just like take the points and live to fight another day or fight another down, you know. It's just a little too early for that for that kind of for that kind of gamble, in my estimation. And by, according to the Ben Baldwin bot, too risky of a play. The, well, the Ben Baldwin bot still says go for it because they say plus two percent in win probability, or at least they should they 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 tell you there's plus two percent in win probability. The problem I have with the model is that I think if it's looking at the Ravens' past history in such situations, it's probably heavily relying on the Lamar Jackson led Ravens where you've got Lamar's ability as a runner and Lamar's ability to frankly make all the other players on the field better uh, to, to drive some of that percentage. I do not know that for a fact, but I don't think the Baldwin bot goes into week to week adjustments on who's playing quarterback and, you know, which offensive linemen are out and that kind of thing. I think it's, I think it honestly is just going to reflect the the team's success for the season. And, you know, Huntley, Obviously, that's a that's a really significant concern. I think a secondary concern is this. Let's say they had gotten the first down, and that play was designed to get two or three yards with Ricard. You know, four if they're if they're really lucky. Then they got a first down inside the ten, and by no means an automatic touchdown. From my way of thinking, at that point with Huntley at quarterback, no, not with this year's Ravens team. No, certainly yeah. not. So, uh, you know, the Ravens could well have been faced with a difficult decision three plays later. I, I, it's, it's very close for me. What was the right call here? But I, I would shade towards not having done it in that particular case. I know there are a lot of people feel very strongly one way or the other. I, I don't think it warrants feeling very strongly one way or the other. I think it actually is an extraordinarily close decision and a difficult one. And I think that it probably was, uh, I would, you know, I would just shade to have not gone for it uh, under those circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, then the Browns got fourth and one at the Ravens nine, and that was Q3, 341. So it was much later in the game, but uh, they were faced actually with a very similar decision. First of all, it's fourth and one at the nine versus fourth and one at the seven. Right there, you've got some similarities there. You've got a, they had a win probability gain of only 1.3% as opposed to the Ravens two. That's very unusual at that point in the game for it to be that little. But if they had succeeded, they would have been at 82%. Had they failed at 67%, so same 15% spread as that first play, but only a 1.3% expected gain from it. So the Browns actually took on more risk relative to their potential gain. Okay, now I know that doesn't make sense to everybody, and frankly, if you're not really into discussing a little bit of the math here, just go move ahead in this podcast, and you'll be less annoyed for this. We're probably going to spend 15 minutes total on this, and 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 before we get back to the rest of the defense. But uh, but this is an opportunity anyway. If, if if you want to hear about the math, to talk a little bit about it. So I'm saying the Browns took even more risk, and they were the better team. At least by that point in the game, it should have been pretty clear that they were the better of the two teams. And it was a little strange to me that they took what is really a much bigger risk than what the Ravens took on fourth and uh, and one from the seven. I probably wouldn't have, you know, done that, but, uh, but that's if I were the Browns, but that's, it's another case where they made it. So their decision was good is the way most fans look at it. Not the way I look at it. You know, you have to price things in advance or, or the, or the, you know, the, the effort to, to make these sorts of decisions is not worth it. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, just the way it is. I think the, the Browns actually made a worse decision than the Ravens probably on that fourth and one play, but they, they got away with it and they made it work. Yeah, and then also I think you gotta take it into account. It's like you know, okay, like who like, like said the down and distance. Okay, I'm fourth and one. The Browns are like I, I'm not. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know the kind of guys that they have. They have one of the best QB sneak quarterbacks in the league in Jacoby Brissett, and they have one of the best power short yardage backs in Nick Chubb. So like I, you know, like in, in those kind of instances, I feel like you know they're better just set up 
for success to get those short yardage conversions with the kind of play with the specific type of players that they have to execute those plays. Whereas the Ravens without Lamar Jackson, not so much. Or if you don't give it to J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, who are also two great power backs. So I think all personnel comes into play, too. Valid, valid point. And I think that I think it probably looks back at the Browns history so far this season. So it has the Brissett stuff in this. Now, actually, on this one, uh, they left Watson in the game. So the set is the next one. They they replaced mm-hmm. him with Brissett for a sneak. But but if if they are looking back, you know, you had a difference in, in players. They certainly had Chubb and they had the offensive line. And that probably should have been figured in there uh, in, in both of these cases. Uh, and again, it looks good because they scored a touchdown three plays after converting here. But uh, but I think they actually took a bigger risk than the Ravens did, or at least a similar risk to the, what the Ravens did at that point in the game. I think it made more sense to go up. It would have been nine to three at that point with the sure thing, effectively the sure thing points with a really short field goal than uh, than going for it. But hey, they made it work. And who are we to whine about the other team's bad decisions? Yeah. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. All right, let's move on. Q four nine thirty four. So the Ravens are at fourth and four. And at this point, they're down 13 to three in the game. Uh, we're down to very low probability of coming back and winning the game anyway. So almost anything they would have done at this point uh, wouldn't have gained them a lot. But they did pick up two and a half uh, points of win probability uh, in a game they trailed by 10. Uh, and I had them I had the win probability before and after here. It's not much. The win probability for succeeding it was at 15%. And if failed, they were at, 10, at 5%. And the win probability of a punt put them at 7%. So they picked up 2.5% with a uh, 45% chance to make it. It's, it's a kind of a desperate decision, but I, I don't think there's any question about the validity of that one going forward on that fourth and four. Did you have any problem with that one? No, I had no, I had no problem with, with, you know, with going for it there. It's just that, that, that was our, that was probably the most frustrating offensive drive to me in mm-hmm. the game, in the game, just because, you know, there was, there was still a lot of time left on the, on the, on the clock. And at, at, at the clip, they're running the ball. Like you didn't have to abandon the run that they did, but it had like, well, like six straight pass plays on that, on there. And then it's just like, you like, you know, the guys who are averaging nine, nine, almost 10 yards a clip, you know, they don't touch the ball not once, you know, JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards gets one carry in the fourth quarter. And it's just like, you know, like, like, what are we doing here? You know, you're throwing a, you're throwing a fourth and four pass to James Brochet, a guy who you rarely targeted when you do. Sometimes bad things tend to happen. I mean, his first two tar- targets in his career went for pick sixes in 2020. So it's like, yeah, that's a on. good point. And, and, you know, they could have run the ball here. They would have had to have a commitment to running at no huddle if they'd done that. And, and I just don't see the Ravens doing that. I mean, you, they, they could. There's no reason why you can't immediately go in, bring in fresh legs when you need to, but have two straight runs by a running back or have two guys on the field who can run the ball if you want to if you want to run once with the running back and once with Duvernay, say. There, there are ways they could have continued to run the ball there. But I think a lot of the um, you know, play calling stuff that goes on with with you know on that drive, the Ravens were already planning for it's very hard to score quickly with Tyler Huntley on the field because he just he doesn't push the ball downfield effectively at all. So you can you can run the ball and do it slowly or you can pass the ball and do it slowly, but there really is no quick option. And so go ahead. 
I was like, I, 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 I'm totally lockstepping with you. And, but the only thing is, like, in this particular game, like, like their their biggest plays were coming in the run the game. Run play, yes. the, the, in the run game. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, so when you when you say that you can't, like, like, like the whole, like the Browns defense were sitting on everything short because they know this guy wasn't going to push it down the field. So they're sitting on everything. But when you, but when you have almost 10 minutes left in the game and you're running the ball so like as well as you as as well as you were in this in this game against this particular abhorrent run defense i mean mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's not impossible to to imagine that they could have moved the ball down quickly and scored just by keeping the ball on the ground primarily well i mean every play is going to be a tackle in bounds i mean you know with a couple exceptions there are going to be tackles in bounds so you're you're already facing that as opposed to you know moving more efficiently with incomplete passes and and whatnot i i guess the question comes up would you have been happy at this point in the game with 10 minutes left if they'd had a seven minute drive where they had maybe a 50% chance to get a touchdown and a 50% chance to get a field goal. Cause it's a good chance that that's exactly the kind of place it ends up. I don't know. I, I honestly don't believe that if they would have kept the ball, like, I wouldn't say kept the ball like exclusively on the ground, like, like run, 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 run. But if you would have like sprinkled in some play action in there mm-hmm. and just like, primarily kept it on the ground, I feel like they could have moved the ball down the field with the swiftness. I mean, we're coming like the, the last two plays in the third quarter, we are like, when you're like, you're like, oh man, this Ravens offense is really, you know, it, you know, crap in the bed today. And then JK ripped off that 37 yarder. And then they have that great screen pass. Like, mm-hmm. you know, do some kind of alternating stuff like that, where, you know, do from Devin Duvernay they got out of bounds, I believe, on the last play of the third period, or maybe just time expired. But like, I'm not saying you got to keep it on the ground ex- exclusively, but you know, you can't just abandon the run and just like you know, like go against the grain, especially with your backup quarterback in there, and expect to have success. Like, it's just, I mean, Dinkin and Duncan, even though they had like, incomplete passes with to me, but to me, with except in this very specific game, in this instance, mm-hmm. like I just, I, I just, um, man, I just, I just don't know. It was it was about as great a situation he's gonna have for running the football because it's not only the Browns it's it's the Browns without Jadavian Clowney who's one of their really top run defenders is out of the game so I, I I'm not disagreeing with you that running the ball still would have been effective and that they maybe could have still run for you know an expectation of five and a half yards per play say with the Browns completely keyed in on the run I just question whether that's actually enough to come back in this football game now they didn't come back with the pass either. But, you know, it's it's, you know, one way has a as, you know, if, if you really try to answer the question for you, if, if you have a six minute drive, whether it's run and pass or, or entirely run, are, are you happy with that? If you if all you know about it is it's a 50 percent chance for a touchdown, a 50 percent chance for a field goal, because I mean, nothing, nothing was a guarantee in the red zone. The Ravens, you know, obviously still had problems in this game. In fact, all the all the talk about they could have driven down the field, whatnot. The Ravens didn't shoot themselves in the foot with with pass plays all the time. They shot themselves in the foot with run plays on that first drive. That's what that's what ended it for them with the Ricard, you know, uh, missing from on the on the fourth and one. So I don't think it's I don't think it's reasonable to say that you know the run never let them down in this game because the, the, the run the run was terrific in general, but you know it they, it, it wasn't like they couldn't find ways to beat themselves with what, what Huntley was doing basically in there, bobbling the football all over the place, you know, mistakes being made by whoever not, touches not it. Throw, <laughs> not throwing, not throwing the ball away. Like taking those, taking those. Oh, that was terrible. Down. Those were oh, terrible. Oh. And, and you know, those off schedule plays kill a good run team. They kill a good run team. No, anyway, they found their ways. Uh, I'll go real quickly through the rest of this. Then the Jacoby Brissett play was the fourth one. That was Q4728. So the Browns had another fourth and one. They gained 1.1 expected win probability percentage points, but they were only working then between 97 and 90%. So that was probably a little bit better gamble. Um, but it's still, it was, it was a, a somewhat of a gamble. They made it again, good decision. Both of their fourth and ones though, in my opinion, more risk than probably what the Ravens did on their fourth and one. Um, and then the last one was the, was the fourth and 13, which we all know is just a desperation play, almost nothing in terms of win probability on the line and uh Q4 310. It's a last, last ditch effort, obviously. And you know, if you talk to a, a you know, the chargers coach about this, uh, he he'd say, you know, you you want to make sure you take those fourth and fours at your own forty-five early in the game, so you don't put yourself in a position where you need to take the fourth and fourth thirteen later on in the game. You want to give yourself that you know that extra chance to win the game early on, uh, it, rather than throw it away as you go. But uh, any other thoughts on this in general before we move on? 
once again, uh, the target to James Prochet. Uh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna keep dogging on the guy, but I'm twice, just, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm saying like, 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 like good, bad things tend to happen, or not, what's not necessarily bad things, but like, you know, not good things tend to happen when, when you know, we target this guy in crucial situation. He hasn't proved that he can be that that guy in clutch situation. He had that one clutch catch, I think, against Cincinnati last year. Maybe I think that was him, or maybe it was against Denver. Either way, um, he's, he's not that. He's not that go-to. I mean, I would have been fine with a target to the Marcus Robinson. You know, he's usually their good possession guy. I would have been fine to a, a target to Mark Andrews or Isaiah Likely. But um, I, I just uh, shoot. Even if, even if Tyler Huntley had one of the his best plays of the year last year against the Browns in a similar situation, I think I don't know. I want to say it was like second in like twenty or something. He like ripped off like a super long run, just scrambling around playing backyard football. I would have I would have been fine with that instead of him just you know launching it to a guy who you know is not really a reliable pass catcher. Well, I mean, look, I don't have a problem with Huntley running, you know, if you need four yards, if you need five yards. But Huntley has shown absolutely zero in the way of elusiveness and absolutely zero in the way of the ability to um, get missed for a big hit so far this year. He's He's gotten absolutely clocked seven times in that previous game that I counted. That's, I mean, Lamar, that's about a season total, you know, I, I, Maybe it's twice that on the season, but it ain't much more. And Huntley just – there's no elusiveness. There's no ability to juke a, juke a uh, defender and make him miss. It was the one he had really in space on the uh, you know, towards the right side of the field, towards the right numbers uh, last week, he ran right into the guy. There, there was yeah, an attempt was, to make any kind of juke. <laughs> it was so weird because he set up for it, right? I'm like, okay, yeah. he's, about to shake, he's about to shake this dude. And then he just gets belted right in his hip. I'm just like, yeah. what, what was yeah. that? Like, what are you, Baker, May- Baker Mayfield out here? I mean, he almost cut him apart in the midsection. The only move he really has is to be as fast as he can to go to the outside. He kept coming up, you know, annoyingly half a yard short of a first down <laughs> play after play last week. Anyway, let's talk, talk about the offense. Let's move on. Got to talk about injury news this week. Some some really bad stuff happening. Campbell and Peters both lost. Do we know anything new today? I have not. I have not. No. Heard so 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 castle. nothing 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 new today. Um, John Harbor. They said they they'd know tomorrow. Uh, um, tomorrow meaning today Sunday that um they'd know tomorrow about about both those guys, but they haven't released anything yet. So they're probably going to hear. They probably had their MRIs and stuff today or whatever extras they had today. Um, I'm anticipating. Probably some soft tissue thing where neither one of them practiced a whole lot this week. I mean, neither one of those guys, especially Marcus, was I think he's been being, was being held out of practice recently as mm-hmm. last 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 few weeks. Um, but uh, Campbell, I mean, he looked he looked fine-ish. I guess walking walking to the locker room, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like super labored. You know, it wasn't walking. I mean, wasn't exactly walking gingerly, but um, I said nothing new as of as of yet today. But I will be feverishly anticipating getting news on both of those guys sometime tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's really a shame because you never know when you're when a snap is going to be your last in the NFL. And in Campbell's case, you know, with his age and whatnot, he's got 99 sacks and he missed one in this game. It ended up being a toss back for an even bigger loss, you know, by by Watson. But if he'd been able to take down Watson, that would have been sack number 100, and he may never get it at this point if he doesn't return to the field here. I I would think. I would think if he doesn't play, it doesn't return this year. I, th- I would think his chance is not particularly good. Uh, yeah, to make it to 100. Hopefully something minor, and, and he'll be, he'll be yeah. back next week. There you go. Uh, the injury to Peters, I, I can't imagine anything much more serious to this defense. Uh, you know, Peters obviously hasn't had the greatest year this year relative to his own past. Certainly in terms of, of relative to cap value, he's probably not earning his money in the same way this year. But the drop-off is so great in terms of what the Ravens have at outside corner. It's It's scary as hell to think about this defense without Marcus Peters. Oh yeah, 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 most definitely. I mean, like, and and like, so like, I I don't know if you've been paying attention to any kind of like early early mock drafts from people putting them out, but uh, Ravens fans are kind of like in a, in a, in, a, in a fit because everybody keeps mocking them to corners. Like, if you look at the cornerback depth of this team, you understand why they're projecting them to yeah. take corners. I mean, like, it's it's outside like with outside of Marlon Humphrey and like in the Marcus Peters, like he hasn't been exactly himself this year coming off an of injury. It's like, but behind those guys, it's like literally nothing of note or notable that you can rely on and, and that be a, a huge liability. And, and I mean, most importantly, they don't have anybody young, so you, you need to have developing corners all the time. And basically they've, they've shot snake eyes on the recent developing corners. We'll see if Brandon Stevens can step up in this, this particular incarnation of his, of his chances. Uh, but he's had a fair number of chances so far. And, and this is, this is yet another, um, the only reason he's out there is because the Ravens don't have anybody better. 
Uh, Kayvon Seymour is not really a, a guy I don't I think they would necessarily turn to, but it's not out of the question. Uh, Pepe Williams is, has been a healthy scratch, which as a Ravens corner is a tremendous indictment. And they've been activating Daryl Worley off and on until they had to put him on IR. So they're really out of options at, at corner. And uh, and we'll see where they go this next week in yeah. terms of of the backups on the team. Yeah, the crazy thing about Brandon Stevens, man, like he'll give you like like two or three really good plays. Like, oh, man, that's a great playing coverage. That's a great playing coverage. Mm-hmm. Then he has like two or three like gaffes where you're like, Penalties. oh, oh yeah. like, come on, man. Like, yeah, he'll get too handsy and get, and get it flagged. Or he'll just like you know have a have a lapse in coverage and let somebody get behind him or or just catch a ball right over him. Um, it's it's um man, it really it really frustrates me. Like I like I'm not poo pooing on, on Jalen Armour Davis, but I really I, I was really a big Tyreek Wool uh, Tariq Woolen fan um mm-hmm. in this last draft cycle, and I was like uh, when he when he fell out like out, out of day two, I was like oh man, this is perfect. You know, like, he's like a, reminds me a little bit of Jimmy Smith. You know, I know Jimmy Smith wasn't a you know former receiver like Tariq was, but like you know that nice long rangy corner, and um I like form I I love those former receivers turn turn cornerback, and the fact that he went a whole round after Jalen Armour Davis, and now he's like in defensive rookie of the year conversation. It's like man, that really grinds my gears. Well, he's, he's one of the great success stories among tools-only players in the draft. I mean, he's just not – you know, he, he was not playing like he, he had a future in the NFL at cornerback in college. No. It's it's just a matter of, you know, he had fantastic speed and fantastic length, and, uh, you know, you hope you can mold that into something. So, I mean, well, obviously – Pete Carroll's good at, 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 at getting final yeah. diamonds in a rough at corner. Yeah, and, and, and they, the, the Seahawks have done a lot of that in terms of drafting for size – uh, you know, they, the Legion of Boom group was a was a huge unit in addition to being a uh, uh, you know group of aircraft carriers in addition to, to being a very good team. All right, let's move on. Uh, David Ajabo got his first NFL snap. Now, a lot of people have been calling about this forever. I found the snap itself to be very interesting uh, in, in terms of what happened. Uh, so he lined up there at, at left defensive end uh, opposite Jack Conklin. The first thing you notice, and and you know everybody's got the ability to do this with their DVR if you have the game taped, is that Conklin false starts on the play. wasn't flagged, but he's out of his stance two or three ticks ahead of time. And I have to think part of that is seeing David Ajabo on the field and maybe knowing, you know, hey, wait a minute, this is this is the this is the young guy they're they're trying to match me up against here. So the ball hasn't moved yet. Conklin's up, and and you you, you can fast forward twice with the thing paused kind of a third time. So it's somewhere between 0.07 and 0.1 seconds that he gets up out of his stance early. Now it happens from time to time. A lot of their um, tackles will get away with that by understanding of the cadence that the center is following and, and just knowing that to try and match it up rather than try and wait to see it and, and, and get up at that time. But uh, that was, that was one that was enough ahead. It could have been called and it wasn't. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Then he went for the bull rush, and then he got help from the from the right guard on the play itself. So uh, it was kind of neat to see him out there, but he only only was out there for that one snap. Yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, like like that, I, I I saw everything that you saw too, and I'm sitting here waiting for the flag too, and that, that mm-hmm. flag never came. Um, but like I said, it was. I wouldn't say it was, it was anticlimactic, but it was like, man, you know, like all this hype and anticipation for literally one snap. I think the Ravens game plan going into the game was not, you know, getting up big, on, big on the Browns. So they could unleash the guy. But I think it's like the way that the game was going that, OK, we want these certain packages in. We want our, you know, our certified edge setters because they're going to clearly going to rely on, on, on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and try to do all this outside zone stuff. So you could understand why a guy like David Jabba wouldn't have a huge involvement in this game. I mean, neither did Adafi Owe, and he still had half a sack. You know, I think he only played like 25 or so snaps. Um, but this is going to be a big, you know, Jason Pierre, Paul, Tyus Bowser kind of kind of kind of game. And and, and it was. Um I don't have too many huge takeaways from it. Um I wasn't expecting him to whip out a spin move or nothing crazy like that. Um I I'm looking forward to seeing more from him. I know a lot of people, I'm not gonna lie, myself included. Um, you know, when they when they took him at at, at 45, you're like, oh, you know, like like it makes sense from a you know familiarity standpoint, like you know, him him and Mike McDonald go way back. But it's just like, you know, like, okay, how much are you going to get out of this guy as a rookie if he just tore his AC, um, his, uh, yep. Achilles, Achilles, Achilles in, um, in, in March? And so, what, what kind of what, what kind of chaps, chaps my butt about it is like, okay, they take him, they take a guy who's who he's pretty much almost essentially redshirting his rookie season, and then a guy like George Pickens goes like seven picks later. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, 
Oh man, you got you got one snap from David Ajabo compared to like like 600 yards receiving from George Pickens, and he's like making a highlight grab a week. And if you tell me like on that fourth and four that they do with James Roche, George Pickens is getting you that first down and probably then some. I mean, he's just he, like every week this guy is coming. I know we're not we're not, we're not getting to all that, but it's just like you know when you compare like all right, what what like what immediately went after this guy that they could have gotten and actually made immediate dividends this year for a team that by all estimations had championship aspirations. I feel like, you know, like one guy would have been, you know, like a, a more more of a seismic move than the other. Pickens was definitely the favorite on our draft board on when we were watching, you know, having a watch party on draft night. Definitely more people wanted him than anybody else at 45. And I, I agree with you about Ajabo, you know, basically redshirting. It's very fortunate he's even on the field at all. Um, and it's very fortunate, frankly, that he can practice with the team because he's going to gain something from that. But if he doesn't fail forward, by getting a fair number of snaps this year, meaning if this is his only activation or maybe he's active again for Cincinnati because that game means nothing, that's a possibility, um, then you know, I, I don't see the real, the real value in it. I, I think that uh, you know, the Ravens have lost a lot in terms of the, uh, the one year out of co- four contracts. And just you know, for people out there, you can't count you know, the additional years once the player is, comes back in free agency. That, that's, you pay market value for those. So the thing you draft somebody for, the expenditure of draft capital is for what they'll do for you in those cheap years, whether it's one to four for most picks or one to five for a first round pick. You have a little bit of additional friction value to keep people in town via the franchise tag and, you know, a little bit of clawback value that comes from, uh, you know, losing the player at the end of that period. If you draft well consistently, you get some comp picks, but basically you got to get play value out of those guys in exchange for your draft capital. And you got to get it in those first four years. And you can't really, just because Ed Reed and Ray Lewis stayed with the Ravens forever. You can't count their value after those first four or five years in terms of, of, you know, what the Ravens got in terms of return and draft capital. for. Yeah. And the thing that, that, that kind of frustrates me about the Ravens um, nowadays, like not nowadays, but like historically is like, they love drafting for the future on defense not so much on offense. And so it's like, you know, like with, with, with the Jabo pick, you know, like, you know, if even if you did have Justin Houston come back, you know, it's, it's going to be like a one-year rental kind of thing. And you had Tyus Bowser coming off an Achilles. So like I could see like targeting a pass rusher early in this draft. I just, I mean, you know, this past draft, I just didn't think you'd target a guy who's already hurt. And so like, you know, like they, and then they did the same thing with, with Brandon Stevens last year, you know, after the draft when they took Stevens in the bottom of the third, um, they were saying, you know, we view him as a free safety. Okay. So is he going to be the eventual Deshaun Elliott replacement? He ended up replacing Deshaun Elliott via, via injury as a rookie, but then you end up signing Marcus, Marcus Williams. And so Deshaun, so, so Brandon Stevens is basically your backup safety slash, slash, you know, hybrid nickel guy slash cornerback. And then that's another one of those instances where one of my favorite guys fell to the fourth round and I'm on Ross St. Brown and now he's tearing it up for the Lions. And so I'm like, you keep over here projecting and drafting for the future on defense and kind of neglecting your offense with some of these premium positions. And, and um, I'm not going to get into that topic, but it's just like, you know, like I think sometimes it's time to like, you know, and they've broken their historical tendencies a lot, you know, with under, under with the, the cost at, at GM. But um, I just like to see some of those other ones come down too. They needed youth at cornerback in that draft. They also needed youth on the defensive line, and there just wasn't any available. So they needed youth at cornerback. They took a guy they believed in the young cornerback. I hated the pick. I, I thought he could have been had later. That was my main problem. He probably could have gotten them with the Ben Mason pick. You certainly could have gotten them, I think, in round four. Uh, it just it's it's one of these things that it really didn't. I'm forgetting if the Ravens might not have had a fourth round pick, but they had they had a couple fifths. Yeah, three fifths. Yeah, and they uh, and I think they could have they could have gotten Stevens there. Uh, really had no business drafting Mason there. Mason, you know, played on a couple of different practice squads and has now back to the Ravens practice squad in year two. Uh, so it's it's uh, I, I I I more hated the pick, but you know you know they did give Stevens the chance. Who played a lot of positions in college to play that play the free safety and and that didn't look good. He got to, uh, some time at strong safety as well with Clark at free. That didn't look that good. He he's played on the outside now, and that hasn't looked that good. He has played exclusively. No, that's not true. He's played some safety earlier this year, so he's still messing around with him even this year. He could claim, but the fact of the matter is, if Steven's going to make it, make a career out of this in the NFL, if he's going to stay any more than probably this third year, um, which is 2023, he's going to need to learn how to play a position, and I think outside corner is it for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's where he like you know best best projected to me. And when when DaCosta said we view him as a free safety, I was like, 
Yeah. What? Like, they they uh, don't anymore. They wouldn't have signed Marcus Williams. Yeah, yeah. That's like that, that. Okay, that that's that's like what I'm saying. Like you know, like you, you invest that, you invest that in the guy who you project to be a free safety, and then after one year, you're like, okay, that's definitely not going to be it. Let's go break the bank on this guy over here, who we know is a quality free safety. And to me, Marcus Williams has been well worth this every penny of his contract. Let's talk about that for just one second. I I, I really want to move on here, but but I'm going to just say this: that uh, the fact that Eric DaCosta is willing to expose the missed value on that Stevens pick by saying, "Now we're going to go ahead and sign Marcus Williams." Now, uh, to me, is the sign of a good organization. It's a sign that isn't wedded to a bad decision. You know, they're they're not going to say, "Well, damn it, we're going to fit this square peg into this round hole at safety." Uh, yep. Even if it, even if it doesn't fit, because hey, we expended third round draft goal. Well, no, that's sunk cost. You know, you, you you do the best you can with the roster going moving forward with what you have, and if that's Stevens at outside corner, Stevens outside corner, and Marcus Williams at free safety. Yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine with with swinging and missing on Stevens if that means you you know you got you got the gusto to go go out and get a Marcus Williams because like I said, that guy's been been balls to the wall. All right. Uh, conservative pressure plan to, to pressure Watson in this game. They really controlled their rush lanes. I'll get into that a little bit later with the pass rush. Um, but, but it was a game where they really tried to allow Watson to make a number of unforced errors. Yeah, I mean, they only really had that one big run late in the, was the fourth quarter, I believe, that where, where he like, escaped at the middle um, mm-hmm. after after they kind of, you know, parted the Red Sea there. But, like, other than that, I think they did a really good job bottling him up and then really, like I said, controlled, uh, really kept that wrestling integrity really well. And, like I said, I, I liked, I liked their, their pass rush plan for the most part. Um, You know, like, I think I'm not, I wasn't too crazy about, you know, about, you know, like the, the, the Kyle Hamilton blitzing off the edge every other play kind of thing early in the, early in the game. Cause I felt like it was kind of a, a tell, you know, and then you can saw Watson check a couple of times, like, all right, yeah, he's, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And you know, they were able to take advantage of it. Yeah. He got the sack out of it too, but uh, there's some other times where, you know, like had, had Watson been even more, not rusty, you know, he probably could have took advantage of it even more. Yeah, he's he, Hamilton slipped on one of those plays, and that ended up being a twenty-five yarder. And I think that was actually due to a two-three coverage mistake. And I don't know exactly whose problem it was. It might have been Clark, it might have been somebody else, but it looked like Clark thought he was handing Cooper. I think it was on that play. Maybe it was Woods. I think it was Cooper. It was um, Cooper, yeah. Off and and uh, and it's just an open space all of a sudden. And, well, you can't have that. <laughs> so uh, anyway. I did that it obviously didn't work out, but but part of the problem on that play was Hamilton didn't get home as an unblocked rusher because he slipped himself and he, he'd have been right up in Watson's face. I'm sure the, the pass had a very high probability of being off target uh, had it uh, had he not slipped. Yeah, he probably would have just started it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know. The Ravens were not effective stopping the run in this game. They allowed 4.8 yards per carry on 142 yards. That excludes the kneels, by the way. You'll see it's like 4.3 or something when you include those three kneels, but they don't count, of course. Those were you know, done for win probability, not, not yardage. Um, that big Cleveland line gave them troubles despite an injury themselves at center, which is pretty severe. They have a, they have a, a good center, uh, uh, Pochick, who, uh, who's been good this year. Uh, How did you see the interplay between the Ravens defensive line and what the Browns could muster up front? Man, can I? I feel like it was really a, a a battle in the trenches, and I feel like had the Ravens done a better job on offense controlling the ball, and because there was a lot of sudden change and or like uh, you know like not being able to stay on the field, and it's just like after a while, like you know the defense can only do so much, and I feel like that you know their 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 wills kind of broke there in the second half, and they were a lot more. A lot more leaky in the run game. Um, I don't. I didn't see guys, uh, you know, completely getting obliterated off the ball. You know, it's just like you know, if you give a guy like Nick Chubb a crease, he's going to hit it. And once he gets to that second level, like you know, he's taking Chuck Clark for a ride. Yep, yep. There was a lot of dragging in this game from from Chubb. He's exceptional. It looks a little bit like Jamal Lewis. I mean, he's not as big, obviously, but he's a he's a dragger in terms of uh, of of what he does. And uh, we saw several different players getting dragged in this game uh Ravens obviously have been fantastic the last six games allowing 2.8 yards per carry and 63.2 yards per game so this game was a, a big eye-opener I don't think there's another team that will uh give them this kind of difficulty Joe Mixon is not the same kind of uh, runner as Chubb is and he also is not a uh doesn't have the same kind of offensive line to work with so I don't think there's really another 
uh, that they'll face who will who will uh, be as much difficulty for them. No, I think, I think the, the Falcons are going to try just because it's kind of the bread and butter mm-hmm. under Arthur Smith. They're going to try, especially after that big game they had against the Saints today, mm-hmm. even albeit in, in a losing effort. But Tyler Algier went off today, and I think Desmond Ritter didn't even throw for 100 yards. So I think they're going to come in in both Baltimore looking at what Cleveland did and like, hey, let's let's try to do some of that. But um, especially if, if Campbell comes back, I don't, I don't think they're going to you know have any issues stopping the Falcons' run game. And and even though Cincinnati is very balanced, I don't see Joe Mixon or, any, or, or Samaj P. Ryan having that kind of success either. Yeah, it'll be a different game for the for the Ravens. Actually, I, I, I kind of set aside the Campbell injury here, but if Campbell's not back, uh, if Campbell's not back, the Ravens' run D looks a lot different. Uh, Brent Urban will have to st- will have to step up and take a lot more snaps, and he played very well this week, by the way. Mm-hmm. But if 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 he's asked to play a lot more five tech snaps, uh, that that could obviously he's not going to play at Campbell's level. Uh, so, you know, you just you, you hope for the best in that kind of situation. He's been a terrific player against the run in the past when his first iteration with the Ravens uh, he has been a valuable um, 15 snap a game guy in this iteration with the Ravens. And, and that uh, that was exceptionally true this last week. Yeah, I think he's been a, a great I wouldn't say a godsend. But he's been like a great, like nice little speller for Campbell. You know, he's really kind of helped him preserve preserve his legs and and, and kind of like, you know, be more effective as a pass rusher, which is, you know, I think think play is ranked second on the team in sacks with five and a half. And so um, I think having having that extra five technique is really um, helping, like I said, preserve and bring the best out of Campbell. Yeah. And the Ravens, you know, they don't normally have to play a ton of base defense, but this year, with the Browns playing the way they do and some of the other teams they faced during the season, some of the weather, frankly, they've faced with it being uh, nasty in the opener, for example, they faced a lot of teams that wanted to run the football and they've, they've wanted to use more base defense. Uh, Watson didn't do that great a job on third down and he'd been, he'd been terrible. Oh, eight of 28 on third down in his first two games, but he's five of 15 in this game, which wasn't that much better. But then when you go two of two on fourth down, that really makes it seven of 15. That, he, that of the times that they got the third down, that they converted on one of the next two downs. And that's pretty good, actually. That's not bad at all. So, uh, you know, while, while he didn't get the job done on third down, the, the Browns uh, uh, got the job done with the run on, uh, on fourth down. Yeah, and that, like, like we said earlier, those are really the keys to the game. And, you know, when you – when you, when you, when you let up those 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 key conversions or even like chunk plays on third down to set them up so they can have a you know favorable fourth and short to me like letting up a chunk play on third down even though you got them to fourth down is still just as bad depending on who you're playing yeah just because like you know you, you can entice that team especially with it like in this particular game with the bloods cut where the Browns kind of smell blood in the water they're like hey you know this Ravens team can be had they're on the back of quarterback you know they're deviating from their from their bread and butter you know they're they're, they're kind of out of sorts in this game we can we can take some advantage of them here and get some gains of extra possessions or extend this possession and steal some points and, and they did yeah I mean I, frankly I'm looking at this from the Browns defensive point of view I would say it would have been very easy to be Woods on those the Browns defensive coordinator on those first two downs against the Ravens, because I take all sorts of cha- uh, uh, chances to run blitz against the Ravens. I, I'd say, I dare you to throw the football Tyler Huntley after what, you know, they saw for any period of that game and, and, uh, you know, be run blitzing pretty regularly and create some zero and negative plays. The Ravens get off schedule with Huntley at quarterback. It's lights out folks. I mean, they're just not a team that can that can come back from being uh, well behind the sticks in terms of down and distance. So uh, the Ravens need to need to figure out a way to uh, uh, to improve that. I mean, like only reason they're able to have the modicum success that they do with Lamar is because Lamar is Lamar. You know, he can he can make chicken salad out of out of chicken. You know what? Like mm-hmm. Five times out of five times out of out of, out of seven times. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just um, the whole like I I. I I have another issue with some of their some of their tendencies on on early downs, especially at first down. Sometimes they get a little too clever, a little too cute, and trying to like, hey, they're expecting us to run, so let's throw it here. Right. No, let's 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 not throw it here. Let's let's do what they're expecting. If they can't stop it, then they can't stop it. So it's like you know when you when you have incomplete passes for 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 no gain or little or little gain on first second down, and you set up your already you know disadvantaged passing attack to you know even under more pressure on you know third and long, you take up. Take out, I wouldn't say any element of the run game outside of a scramble, but they're not expecting you to run a play on 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 third and on third and thirteen, you know. So it's like, 
Okay. You know, they, they kind of don't want to get out of their own way sometimes. That's that is, by the way, the yin and the yang of this discussion here is that, you know, if if the Browns are are looking at it and saying they're definitely running on first down, they can take all sorts of chances that will improve their chance to stop the run. So we're, it's it's you and I are, are talking about the thing from two different points of view here. And, it, it you know, if you're really looking at the at the, um, you know, the, the Browns defensive perspective, they have some say about the matter. They don't have to let themselves get run over. They can, they can, you know, bring safeties down. They can run blitz. They can do a lot of things to improve their chance to stop the run. If they truly just want to say, "Screw you, Tyler," we don't think you can throw the football at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. It's just like I just feel like based on the like of the film that the Ravens have put out there this year, you know, um, on uh, particularly on offense. Like, if you're a defensive coordinator, you're like, you know what they. They, they try to get cute on first, second downs, you know, like, you know, let, let's, let's play our base or, you know, let's not necessarily run blitz this time just, just in case they do try to throw the ball, get cute, you know, you know? Um, so like, I, I just feel like the take that they put on, on film this year kind of shows a little bit of their tendencies as far as like, you know, like, Hey, they try to get cute on, for, on first, second down every now and then try to throw a little quick pass, a little, uh, uh, you know, to Demarcus Robinson or to, or to James Prochet, God forbid. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, a man down on James Brochet here. Uh, you know, one of the things I really didn't like about this game, uh, the first two NFL catches for Dalen Baldwin. Now, Dalen Baldwin is a practice squad wide receiver, got brought up for this game. And if you look at who how the Ravens corners matched up against the Browns wide receivers, you'd say, you know, thank goodness, this is a respite game. Mm-hmm. for a b- very beleaguered secondary right now to be able to, you know, play with Hamilton in the slot, not have a lot of um truly unfavorable size speed matchups and they did a lot to try and get cooper matched up on hamilton in this game but you know most of 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 what they did they didn't really try and take advantage of the fact that that hamilton uh sorry they did try to take advantage of the fact that hamilton was at cornerback but they didn't really have great personnel for doing so and to have then you know this piker you know, practice squad wide receiver make two catches out of out of only i think he was only played five snaps the whole game uh you know it was just to me, it was ridiculous. Yeah, 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 totally. I just, um, man, it's just like, and then when you see, like, you know, one of them was on, with, like, I think, were both of them on, on Marlon Humphrey or one of them on Marlon Humphrey? I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, rem- I don't remember exactly. I know Marlon was tried to dislodge one of them and, and it was, mm. uh, was unsuccessful. I don't know about the other one, but I'm just like, man, who, like, like the Ravens, this is such a good matchup for them on both sides of the ball. I feel like that, like, you know, they really let this one slip away. And then you got these no name receivers catching on all pros. Yeah, that's that's uh, there was one. It was over uh, six and eighteen, and I'm I'm trying to trying to remember which of the inside linebackers it was really over that. Uh, but I ha- I had it scored for over both of them anyway. So I thought that was one of them. Um, I'm not looking to see a catch for Cooper that looks like that. So maybe I've got it wrong in this. Um, let's move on a little bit. Watson uh, mentioned he tried to go after Hamilton a little bit with with wide receiver mismatches mm-hmm. with mixed results, but there were not particularly mixed results throwing at Queen and Smith in this game. This was a game in particular. We saw um, a lot of balls thrown over Patrick Queen, and they were looking to to take advantage of that part in zone. Um, it's Queen is obviously his game has improved a lot. He had another pretty good game this week. Um, you know, in terms of of what he accomplished, was one of the better Ravens defenders. I would say not the best. Um, but he but he did a pretty good job uh, other than what he did between level two and three uh, to try and stop the passing game for Watson. And that was a lot of the success that they had was right there uh, and on the outside, some 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 place to Cooper where where Hamilton was the the, the guy closest on them. Yeah, everybody's gonna remember Patrick Queen for over pursuing on that on that touchdown. But yeah. they're gonna not remember all the solid play he played for the for the other the other. Uh, I don't know exactly how many snaps he had, but um, yeah, it's just like that, that that sometimes you know, especially on defense, you know, you're not always remembered for your solid plays. You're always you know always beleaguered for your for your bad plays, especially when they end up in touchdowns for the other team. Got to be a closer when it comes down to that, like a baseball closer where you forget about it in your next game and. Uh, Queen seems to most of the time be able to do that. I, I don't like it a, a, to get into the psyche of why things are not working out for an athlete, but most of the time, and I'd say pretty particularly this season, Queen is is, is showing a, a good deal of confidence in terms of his own ability to play and not second guessing himself or being tentative to a point, which tells me that that he he's not going to lose two plays for losing one. So to speak. yeah. 
he's a much better flusher this year. And he's even talked about it, you know, about like how he doesn't get down on himself anymore. And then the addition of Roquan has really just given the whole entire unit confidence, especially, you know, him being his, being his running mate right there in the middle is having a guy that, you know, has your back. And like, even if you do make a mistake, sometimes like Roquan is the kind of guy that can, you can be a bit of a, a, a mistake eraser for, especially for some of his running mates, especially if they're in the same side of the field. It's a good cleanup crew in general. Uh, the, the the team is right now, and they're missing less total tackles, which is good, but uh, but definitely a good cleanup crew in terms of when mistakes get made, as as they will. Um, missed tackles are not necessarily turning into big plays. He had a one in the backfield uh, on this one that that just was a retract runner. Ended up being instead of being a loss of one, it was probably a gain of one. But that's the kind of of, of missed tackle that's just not that terrible, uh, and and you, that's the. That's the kind I don't mind having. What I don't want to have is the is the misses in space, like the like frankly the queen overrun would probably be a missed tackle to to many people who are counting those. Mm-hmm. Uh, red zone success continued. So the Browns only went one of four in the red zone, and and the, and the opponents for the offense opponents of the Ravens defense are only six of their last nineteen. It's something we don't talk about nearly enough. You know, the, the Ravens have obviously had terrible success getting into the end zone. But opponents have too. They haven't had any success getting in from from in the red zone, and we should be celebrating that as much as we whine about the thing that's not working. I would think, uh, you know. Anyway, there are championship teams; they need to be a little above average on average in both. But still, it's uh, you know. I, I think you know we probably haven't given the defense enough credit for their recent extreme success in the red zone. I mean, I pointed out almost after every game, man, with, with the defense, especially since week nine, you know, they're only aver- they're only like allowing an average of like 13 point something points a game. Mm-hmm. And they, they think, like you said, they're holding people out of, out of the red zone. It's just it gets the offensive red zone struggles overshine the defensive red zone excellence in dominance. You know, in, in, in my opinion, it's just like you got a you got a team that, yeah, may bend and break here, you know, allow a couple of chunk plays here and there. But once they get inside the 20, man, the clamps come down. And 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 they're not, you know, they're they're, they're it's a dogfight down there inside the uh, the red zone, and um, they like they, they they barely yield ground down there. And even when they get get, get back to against the goal line, they've had some pretty nice goal line stands this year. A lot of their physicality certainly uh, becomes more valuable in the compressed field, and we saw that. I thought one of the plays that really indicated that pretty clearly was Hamilton coming up and knocking the ball free on Njoku because that's a that's a ball that, uh, y- you know. Most against most teams, it's going to be caught, and there, you know, the slot corner who's assigned to him, or even the linebacker who's assigned to him, may not be able to make the tackle, and he's in the end zone. Or, or if he if he's down, he's probably down at the one. Um, and, and it's you know, Hamilton came up from behind, knocked the ball out, and and it's just a good one. But you know, if if you have to, if he has to defend more space vertically, he's going to have a lot more trouble with the receiver when it's out, you know, closer to midfield, say, uh, in terms of what he's got to do. So. Uh, you know, it's easy to see why Ben but not break might be a real thing, given who the Ravens are in terms of their, their the, the players they have on the field. Yeah, I, I noted that PBU down in, in, my, in my notes here, and I was really impressed with, with Hamilton. I mean, he's been impressive on tight ends, like yeah. you know, the second half of the season, especially, but especially down in the red zone. He had a he had a great game against tight ends against the Buccaneers. I think he had that great pass breakup against Kate Auden, another another fellow rookie. I think he had another one down there too. That broke up a touchdown. Um, I think it was to another tight end. So he's he's kind of been the tight end eraser down there in, in the red zone, and I, and I love it. Yeah, they're very cool. Uh, packages. I had just a couple of notes and I'll be fairly quick about this. Uh, the Ravens, they had 61 defensive snaps and I'm, I'm, again, I'm taking out the kneels at the end of the game. Uh, they used some form of big nickel on 37 of those. There were some splits in there to, to what they did. Um, but they had, uh, uh, you know, a, a big nickel that was a rush nickel that they played and they did that. Um, extreme packages uh, came back in some ways. They played five rush nickels on third and six plus. Four of them were drive enders. Now, you know, the, the, the fifth one was a third and might have been a third and seven, third and nine that they actually converted. Um, they had the one race car package, which was a four outside linebacker package. That was a Jabos only snap. So, uh, you know, they, they used extreme packages to win, which they hadn't done the week before in terms of going to, to uh, heavy and outside linebacker packages to get the job done. They had five defensive linemen in on a fourth and one play. The Browns converted anyway. But they've they've only done that one other time this season. That was in the previous week, so it's kind of cool. And they used other heavy formations uh, with with a, with a combination of of base and jumbo for twenty four plays. 
And the Browns only got 64 yards on those plays. So basically speaking, when the Ravens put extra defensive linemen in the game, it really worked out for them. Yeah, man. I, 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 I know we're going to get into, you know, like standouts later, but Roger Washington has been playing his ass off this this mm-hmm. this year. And he's been he's been one hell of a run defender and he's been, and he's been sneakily making plays in the passing game, batting down balls at the line of scrimmage. And he had another he had another good game uh, in this game, too. And I, I, I like what I'm seeing from Travis Jones, too. He's he's been he's been solid, you know, not. He hasn't been the same dominant force that I thought he was going to be after watching him in the preseason, yeah. but you know he's he's been solid. Um, definitely miss Michael Pierce though. Yeah, and I was just going to say that he's boy. If if they had him back right now, you, this run defense would be something to behold. But you know, all teams have some injuries, and you know, Michael Pierce. If if he's the only defensive lineman you lose, it's bad, but it's not. It should not be the end of the world. Uh, losing Campbell also is really going to hurt though. Uh, but I, I, you know, it, one thing that kind of stands out about this is that. Any team that runs 12 or 21 or really any sort of heavy formation, the Browns don't really use a fullback. They use a tight end in the backfield or they use a lineman in the backfield as they did on, on both fourth and one plays. Um, they don't they don't really use a, a plain fullback. So it's, most of it's 12, and they, they have even some a little 13 on the field occasionally. But when they run 12, they're, they're kind of doing the Ravens a favor because the Ravens can then play an extra defensive lineman uh, they can do that instead of a slot corner. They can even do it in addition to a slot corner if they want to keep Hamilton on the field and just play one inside linebacker. So whatever the case is, I think other teams so far have not really figured it out in terms of what the you know really trying to play to the weaknesses of the opponent as opposed to what they perceive as their own offensive strength. Sometimes you say, well, you know, I can't put you know this guy on the on the field because he's not a very good player. And then you realize that the other team has an even worse player that would have to be covering him, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The Ravens have done a pretty good job kind of masking some of their deficiencies on, on, on defense and other teams, like you said, haven't caught on to like trying to, you know, expose them on in some of those areas, um, particularly depth at corner, you know, like this was like big Ben Steelers. Then you know we might be talking, might be saying a different story, you know, if they're, if they're going to five wide and, and, uh, and, and cutting them up, then, um, you know, that, that might be an issue, but um, against this uh, particular Ravens team, I, I think teams are kind of a little weary of their safety, of their safety group. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, that's a great point. I mean, the Ravens are not in a position right now to put four cornerbacks on the field and that's, uh, you know, should be scary as hell to Ravens fans. If you're going to have to face maybe the, uh, uh, the bills in the playoffs at some point, if you're lucky, you know, hopefully the, you know, hopefully the bills may get the number one seeds. The Ravens have to win a game to, to get to play in Buffalo. Um, and if they did, then, uh, uh, you know, they, they could be facing a lot of 10 personnel. Yeah, um, my nightmare matchups were the Ravens in the playoffs. I mean, because they have like a 90-something percent chance of making the playoffs. My nightmare matchup for the Ravens, as currently constructed, is um, the Bills or the Chiefs. It's because those are those are two teams that can go five wide and two quarterbacks that will, you know, read and diagnose the defense and, and cut you up if you let them. The Bengals? Put them in that same class or not quite? I you know I think I was gonna mention the Bengals too, but like for some reason like when the Ravens when this version of the Ravens played the Bengals like we saw them in week in week five they didn't have tremendous cornerback depth in week five they still put the clamps on the Bengals it's just like when 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 it comes to divisional falls when the Ravens aren't playing with replacement level corners corners like they were last year you know when they're not playing with replacement level guys when it comes to the division things you kind of like throw a lot of stuff out the window as far as like okay well they had this advantage schematically you know like look. Because you know, like with him, when you have you, you know you're relatively your best players, you still got Marlon Humphrey and and hopefully Marcus Peters, and you got Marcus Williams back, and you know if you have those guys, and then like the the Bengals have like the, I mean I wouldn't say like you know they haven't been like flaws, they've clearly been a better and more balanced team than the Ravens, but you know they've had, they've shown that they can be had if you take advantage of them and consistently execute. Bucks didn't do that today; they did in the first half and then collapse in the second. That was ugly. It was oh. it was it was it was god it was god awful, man. They All were right. just. Oh, yeah, we won't get into that. It's not a, not a Buccaneers or Bengals pod, but golly, man. That was that was really hard to watch. Uh, Josh, always a pleasure talking football with you. And we're going to come back in part two, talk about the pass rush, some individual players, and, and uh, take, some, take a few mailbag questions if we have a few about the defense. Most everybody wants to talk about the offense right now. But Josh, tell folks where they can find you online. Okay, we well, can find my uh, my Ravens related content at uh, Heavy on Ravens uh, for Heavy Incorporated. Uh, that's where uh, all my Ravens content is content is now. And you can also um, reach me on Twitter at uh, Josh Reed nine zero seven. And when you're from Alaska, you say nine zero seven. But for Twitter purposes, you just put in nine zero seven Josh Reed nine zero seven. That's so you can interact with me on Twitter. 
All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I'd love to hear from you and, and uh, talk football with you. Uh, other folks out there, if you can introduce the podcast to somebody new, really would appreciate it in whatever form they can get it. If they can get it on their phone and you can show them how to use a podcast app, that's fantastic. Uh, if you have somebody else who's just too darn old to use a podcast apps for the first time or just not never got into the podcast space, you can still listen to it directly on the computer by going to filmstudybaltimore.com. Show them how to do that. Go to the individual podcast, click play. They can listen to it right on the computer if that's more comfortable. And, uh, and you can tell them they have my permission to listen to that at work. Probably should use headphones, but they have my permission. <laughs> All right, Josh, uh, always great talking football with you. Great having you, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.